Hi everyone, this is Dasha, and you are listening to Project Love Yourself podcast. So I realized that in order for me to talk to so many amazing people and share their story, I obviously have to tell you my story or the story behind the story. To get a little bit of help, I invited a really special friend, Alex. Hi, Dasha. How are you? Hi. I'm so glad that you are able to join me. And Alex will be interviewing me and talking to me a lot about my past. And I really couldn't find anyone else. Like, no one else popped into my head to help me share my story but Alex. So I really hope that you guys take away something from it and... Alex has been a really close friend of mine, and she's seen me through a lot. But even Alex doesn't know a lot about my past. So I think this will be interesting. So Alex, tell me a little bit about yourself first. Oh, uh, I didn't think it was going to turn so quickly. Um, First, I'd like to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be able to interview you for this. Um, You and I have gone down a road together. a spiritual road together yeah. where we have been able to open up to each other and going from a place of maybe being in the dark to then yeah. bringing ourselves out to the light. Yeah. Um, as Dasha may know, I'm not one to really say who I am or what I do, <laughs> but um, my journey with her has been an amazing one. So to be able to help you with this one, mm-hmm. I, I feel very, very honored. To say a little bit about myself, I'm a woman of New York, (laughs) born and raised in New York and had uh, quite a few trials and tribulations myself, but the end result has become that I've started to do something I really, really love. I became a massage therapist. Um, Also, I've become a New York City crisis chaplain. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited. (laughs) But um, yeah, I've just spent my past 40 years as just trying to be a seeker of light and trying to figure out where love can take me and where I would be able to go and give that love to someone else. That's my story in a small little nutshell. <laughs> love always wins, guys. Love always wins. It definitely does. So, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I guess we can start this from the beginning. Yeah. We do understand that you currently are running um, Project Love Yourself. Yes. And we need to understand, and I think a lot of people would love to know, where that came from and where those roots come from. So if you don't mind, um, let us start from the beginning Yeah. Um, with your parents and your mom. Okay. So um, my mom actually was born in Russia, and she is a very, very smart smart woman. Um, I look up to her a lot. And um, in Russia, she finished two universities. She actually held her own school. And she was first a teacher, then she was the principal of the school. And she was just, uh, she is still an amazing woman. Um, She got married at a very young age. And she, you know, had myself my brother, my sister. And she, you know, when she met my dad, a lot of things changed for her. Uh, There was like this big love affair, I would say. (laughs) And they were just 
completely head over heels with with each other, you know? And um, he had a couple of children of his own, and he at first really made my mom like this priority. So as maybe like a one-year-old or two-year-old, I just, all I experienced was love. And then one day he kind of went on this trip in Russia for a couple of weeks and he came back and he was very, very different. Like he changed in a way. And my mom really couldn't figure out what it was until he started talking about Uh, a religion, the Buddhist religion. So, you know, after that, he became very distant. He didn't, he wasn't as affectionate. He didn't really pay attention to us. He became very violent with my brother. He would, you know, as, as a young child, my brother would get beat with books and textbooks and he would force my brother to, you know, play the piano for 13 hours straight every day. And so, My sister experienced that abuse too, and I think that it was, it just got very, very difficult for my mom. And it was definitely like in between the process of moving to America, and by the time we moved to America, I was three. My mom moved to America, she took my brother and my sister with her, obviously. My dad came along, and he took his three kids, but he then left and chose the religion over family. So, you know, he did tell my mom, look, you know, you're more than welcome to come to this, um, you know, area to, to practice this religion, and the kids will be in a specific school. And my mom said no. Hmm. She said, you know, I, I'm, I'm Christian, and I believe in God, and I'm not going to choose for my kids. My kids are too young to figure out what they want, what they will be happy with. So I'm going to let them live their lives. I'm going to let them get the ed- education they need. And then they will choose whether they want to believe in a God or not. So after that, it became really, really hard because my mom was taking care of the three of us, three of his kids. You know, there was, I think that She was very depressed, but she never showed it because, Mm -hmm. I mean, she went from being a principal at a school that she owned to scrubbing floors with toothbrushes for families that just thought nothing of her. And that was her life. That was her life for a very long time. And um, we really didn't have much of a childhood. I would wake up most nights searching for her, but she had to work. So you can imagine being like a 10-year-old waking up in the middle of the night and wondering where your mom is. Mm -hmm. And at the time, my brother was, he was a teenager. He was in high school. He was getting into trouble. He was climbing out of the window (laughs) at (laughs) night. He was stealing cars. He he just, he was a whole lot of mess. Mm -hmm. And my mom just, she had such a hard time. And my sister Later on, she married um, somebody, and I think that was her way out. He was, you know, he had his own home, and she married him, and she had my niece, and that was kind of like her saving grace at the moment, at that time. Mm -hmm. I was really the one, like, front and center, trying to 
deal with everything that was happening and I was still a kid. I really didn't. So in essence, you were kind of left alone. Yes. <laughs> and how old were you? Um, five, six, seven. It went on until I was maybe 10, 11. So I was always alone, mm-hmm. emotionally and physically. And I had friends. I had a friend who was a really close childhood friend of mine. And she lived across the street from me. Mm-hmm. And I would always spend time there. And her parents were so great. And her grandmother at the time was so affectionate. And she just, every time she would see me, she would just hug me. Because she knew I needed it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I needed it. Mm-hmm. But she knew. <laughs> but, you know, things changed. Okay. A lot of things changed. At what age did you start to come into your own? So obviously we see that you pretty much were raising yourself as a child. And when did you start to realize that? When did that start to change for you? I think that I started to realize that when my mom met my stepdad. Okay. Which is now not my stepdad, but back then he was my stepdad. Mm-hmm. You know how people, they sometimes just can read a human They can tell how a human is and if they're good or bad, if they have bad energy. Mm -hmm. And I was always that kid. I was always that kid to say, oh, mommy, I don't like him. Or like, I don't like her. Or that lady's mean. And she'd be like, well, you haven't even spoken to them yet. (laughs) You know? So my mom was introduced by my sister's husband to my stepdad. Okay. That's when we moved to Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn. And we lived there. It was a very small apartment, but my most favorite apartment because all my friends knew where I was. <laughs> but, you know, when when she met him, things started moving really, really fast. He moved in after a couple of months, and I just despised him. I could not understand why, but I hated him. And I hate the word hate because I... It's such a strong word, Mm -hmm. and it just takes a lot out of you, just hating someone. That was around the time where I was in junior high, and he was just so mean to me. And he was mean to me when my mom wasn't there, and my mom never believed me. But she would say, you know, I understand, like, you're jealous, and, you know, it's okay. I I know he's not your dad. Like, I'm not trying to make him your your dad, but I just couldn't explain to her what I felt inside. And we didn't have a close relationship anyway. So that made things even harder. Okay. So I went from being alone to living with a stranger, my mom, and her never taking my side. That was... That must have been really hard. And so did that dynamic change? Because you did say that he's no longer like your stepdad. So what happened? We're fast forwarding a little bit. (laughs) We can Um, always go back. (laughs) Yes, we can always go back. So what happened was that after a couple of years, after a long, long period of time, my mom got very, very sick and she had an aneurysm. And the day that everything happened, we were told that she had about 10 minutes to live. And when he heard that, he chose to go on a hunting trip Mm -hmm. that he had already planned. 
So he literally left the hospital and just left her there. And thankfully we were there, but he just left. Hmm. And after that, it was just everything came like crashing down. Well, were there some signs that he was that type of man? Like, how was day-to-day life with him between the three of you, between your mom? Because now your brother's kind of, like, just running around doing whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. And your sister now is taking care of her daughter. Right. So then it's kind of the dynamic of just the three of you. Yeah. So someone you don't like, you're uncomfortable with, and your mom, who possibly might just be lonely and needed someone. Right. So how did that dynamic, what were those signs that maybe she didn't see that you did? After a little little time in Brooklyn, living in the same apartment, they decided to move to upstate New York. And upstate New York was a whole different animal for me, of course, because I had to, I started high school there. I did, I think, ninth and 10th grade, I believe. That's a big adjustment. Yeah. So I went from... Brooklyn and New York and all of my friends and all of this love and all of this escape <laughs> to upstate New York, which was very, very limited. You had a, you needed a car for everything. You couldn't really fu- like function basically without a car, especially if you're 13 years old or 14 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. They had mutually decided to work within separate locations. So my mom continued to be a teacher in New York and she worked Monday through Friday in New York while I was there with him in upstate New York mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. So she would come and visit on the weekends. In the beginning I was very hopeful because I thought, okay, well this is going to be a a great chance for us to kind of bond or find common ground. The biggest moment that changed everything for me was um, one day I got home and all the doors were locked. I didn't have a key at the time because I was just starting high school. We just moved. It was a couple months in. And so everything was locked and I didn't know that he was home. So I knocked on the door a couple of times. I called a cell. No one answered. So the house was, I would say, ground level. So I tried to climb through my window okay. to get into my room. And as I'm climbing into my window, he, I watch him bust the door open of my bedroom. He runs up to me and he pushes me out of the window. And at first, like, I didn't understand that it was happening. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought, no, this, this is not real. You know, when something happens and a set of just shock comes in and just you're paralyzed, you're in fight mm-hmm. or flight, you have no idea what just happened, you, you don't know what caused it. And he just walked away. He walked away from the window. And I laid there. On the grass, thankfully, because it was summer. Mm-hmm. I bruised I, I bruised the back of my head. I had bruises on my back. And I thought, what did I do? Right. And I thought, why is this happening to me? Because at that point, I was alone. 
He wasn't checking up on me. I was waking myself up to go to school. I was doing the homework by myself. I was making grown-up decisions about my life Mm -hmm. by myself. And that same night, it it was horrible because I tried to get the phone and call my mom. And he locked the phone in his bedroom. So you were able to get back into the house after he had pushed you out? Yes. Did you... Reclined back into the window. I laid there for a little bit and I, you know, I didn't know what was happening. I waited for him to leave because there was no communication between us while this happened, which was the strangest thing ever. And I, everything was done in silence. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, for a child or young teen, the most confusing part because usually, you know, when somebody gets in trouble, you hear why. Or when there's something leading up to something. So, you know, his door was locked. I couldn't get to the phone. And I waited all night for him to come back because he was a truck driver. I waited all night for him to come back. I, just so luckily, he forgot to lock his bedroom door while he was sleeping. And I remember distinctively crawling through the carpet, praying that he doesn't wake up, trying to find the phone because back then we didn't have the general like I didn't have a cell phone (laughs) back then yet so I'm surprised it still wasn't rotary yeah (laughs) exactly I I found the phone I grabbed it and I tried to call my mom and she didn't answer and I had to put the phone back obviously I couldn't hold on to this phone Mm -hmm. that's how it continued like, it was very abusive. It was a lot of mental ga- mental mind games. Like, one day he would come in and say, hey, do you want to go on a fishing trip with me? Be ready tomorrow at 5 a.m. And I would be so excited and think, okay, I can forgive him for this and let me try and make my mom happy and have a relationship with him. And I would be up at 4 a.m. waiting, packed, and he would already be gone. It was just very mind it was just very confusing, very confusing for a very long time. And when my mom would come home on the weekends, I would try to tell her and she wouldn't believe me at all. At all. You're making this up. You're lying. I know you don't like him, but we have to find common ground. It was, it was very painful for me mm-hmm. to hear that because at the time I needed guidance. I needed advice. I needed my mom. And so I started um, writing music. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You had to find your escape somehow, right? I did. And I I met, through a mutual friend, I met someone named named Eric, and people call him Veg. And I'm still friends with him till this day, and he's amazing. And he had a studio in his house, and I would go... I would save the lunch money that my mom would give me for the week and I would I would skip lunch or I would share lunch with my friends and I would go and after school I would just go and write music and record and that was my safe heaven you know like it was it was something that saved me from doing so many bad 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 things like getting pregnant or I don't know becoming addicted to drugs or the saving grace exactly so that is what kind of got me through those Mm -hmm. times in a way music does save lives 
Yes, it definitely does. And how long was this your refuge? Uh, about two years, maybe two and a half years. Because later on, they decided to buy a house in Connecticut. I had to continue high school there. So, again, it was another change for me. I couldn't, like, function. I was... But the good, the only good part was that my mom wasn't working in Brooklyn now. Okay. She was home. Okay. She actually starts working nights at a factory. Okay. So she would work, I would say, from like 11 o'clock p.m. to about 7 a.m. And this would be every day. So this makes it a little bit better for you. Now mom is like home, even though she's working the overnight, stuff like that. But now it's like, oh, mom's home and I can be safe. Yeah. Because now I'm still coming into an uncomfortable situation with my stepdad. But at least now maybe she might be able to see what's going on. Right. So then, um, I did feel, and I did feel safe. I did feel safe to a certain extent because I was still in high school. Um, but at the same time, I was already planning my next great escape. (laughs) I, I was in survival mode. I was in my head. I was a grown up that had to take care of myself because I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know. He didn't treat me that way in front of my mom. But behind closed doors, behind closed doors, when my mom wouldn't be home, it would just be the same nastiness. But around this time is when I got really, really close with my brother. Okay. And my brother kind of has been, well, he was in and out during that entire time, but then he became a really strong figure in my life during the time that we lived in Connecticut and during the time I was in high school because he really, him and I, we shared a passion, which was music. He was incredibly gifted. He would, he could pick anything up by ear on piano. He could come up with so many beautiful melodies and, and we just clicked because I did the same and we were the only ones that actually shared that gift in the entire family. So he started really searching for studios and we would, um, you know, work on my album together and we were so in it. And he just, he had that, you're going to be a star attitude. And for a very long time, I had a lot of opportunities to sign with so many different labels. And I think that it never happened the way, you know, I dreamed because I was in survival mode and in the back of my head, I was like, no, you need to get out first. Hmm. You need to be away from this monster first. You need to do this first. And it, it just kind of got pushed aside. Okay. Just day by day kind of thing. So, so something that turned into a solace and a saving grace yeah. is now being pushed away. Yeah. Because now it's like, now I have a year left. Now I have six months left until I graduate high school. I can't be in that house. I'm 17 years old. I cannot be in that house. And you didn't think music was going to be the thing to take you out? No. Okay. Even though I loved it, I knew it was going to take forever. 
I knew I I I knew the competition I would have to face. I knew the struggles I would have to face. I knew that signing to a record label isn't as easy as one, two, three. And so I just kept it as a hobby. With time, my stepdad's two daughters came to the States. That changes the dynamic. (laughs) That really did change the dynamic because... You know, my mom, she became a citizen a couple of years after we came to America, and I automatically became a citizen. She actually had all that power to bring his daughters from Russia to America and give them that life that they needed, the education, the the career opportunities. And when they came, it was just a total shit show. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, They turned my mom's life upside down. And that's when a lot of financial stressors came. So my mom started working even more. Was he working during this time? He was working. He was working as a truck driver. Okay. Still. So not all of it was on your mom, but still... But still most of it. Because she she was making the most money. With that, a lot of things were possible because she was working so many hours. They were able to pay the mortgage. They were able to pay the bills and everything. So, but then she started ignoring her health. And I think that one thing that I regret the most is the day that I went to a doc to the doctor with her for just a general checkup that she had to do. And the doctor was so petrified because her blood pressure was so high and her sugar levels were so high. And back then, she didn't know she was diabetic. The doctor was so petrified, she refused to let her leave and said, the only way you're leaving is if I call 911 and get you to a hospital. Hmm. And she, you know, she told her, she said, I don't know how you're still standing, literally. You, you need to go to the hospital right now. And all my mom kept saying was, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Give me a pill. I got to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. She never took care of her health. And I just wondered, like, if why is, you know, why is my mom's husband not caring about her health? Why is he not saying, hey, why don't you take a couple of days off and just relax? Why don't you get some sleep? And I think what I didn't realize is that as a teenager, I kind of conditioned in my mind that maybe that's not what all partners should be doing Mm -hmm. maybe you know we should just care for ourselves and your partner shouldn't doesn't have to care about you and it's sad to say obviously I know now it's not true but after that it just it really went downhill okay and then we got to my graduating high school I left to college to live in the dorms there in Connecticut still And then one weekend I was visiting and my mom was cutting tomatoes. I still remember it perfectly. She was cutting tomatoes and she turns around and I just remember the sun hitting her face. It was super, super early in the morning and the sun hit her face and it changed the colors of her eyes. And she turned to me and said, I have a really bad headache. So I told her, I said, 
why don't you just go lay down? I'll finish the tomatoes. And she laid down and never got up. She became totally unresponsive. And she went into a deep sleep. And I got so scared. So I ran to my stepdad and I, and I go, Mom is not waking up. She's tired. Let her sleep. No, you don't understand. Mom is not waking up. She had a really bad headache and she's not waking up. She's unresponsive. She's drooling. I can't wake her up. He still didn't listen. Hours passed and I went to go call 911 and he grabbed the phone from me and said, don't you do that. And he took my cell phone, he took my phone and he left. He literally left the house with the phones. And at that point, I just, all I could do was lay next to my mom. And this is from 10 a.m. all the way through the night, me laying there next to her and sobbing, crying, wondering why she's not Not waking waking up. I don't even remember how I was able to get a cell phone. I texted my sister. I texted my brother. They all came in the morning and they called 911 and took her. They took her to the emergency room. And that was the most petrifying day, I think, of all of our lives. And I think that was also the day that I started to believe in God. I'm getting a little emotional here. <laughs> because I really didn't believe in in God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believed there was a God. And I did sometimes say things like, oh, God, please help me kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I didn't believe spiritually on the inside. Yeah. And then when they took her in and the first doctor said, she's not going to live. I'm sorry. I literally ran to the bathroom and I, like... I remember just falling on my knees and I was like, if you are real, please help me. Just, I was just bawling. I was like, please, please help me. I'm not ready. Oh, this is so horrible. Tissue, please. (laughs) So, and after that, I went back and there was just, this random doctor that just showed up out of nowhere and I still call him the angel doctor and he said you know what I think I think I can help your mom but I have to bring her to Yale to the Yale hospital to do Mm -hmm. surgery on her right away because so much time passed with her not getting help the aneurysm that she acquired Mm -hmm. could have been helped but now the blood leaked all through her brain so now they have to go in and manually suck it all out, basically. Because mm-hmm. now to... she has that swelling on her brain yeah. because of the blood. Yeah. So they rushed her to the emergency room um, at Yale, and they did emergency surgery on her. And I, I felt like it took hours and hours and hours and hours, and all we could do was wait because we knew that it, we didn't know how she was going to, if she was going to survive, mm-hmm. how she was going to be after They didn't know if she would talk. They didn't know if she would walk. They didn't know if she'd be brain dead. They didn't know. And I think that that was the scariest thing for me. Because I had, one, I wasn't close to her. And two, now I'm about to lose someone that 
I want to be with. And then that entire time, my stepdad went on a hunting trip. He just left. He wasn't there for any of it. So just, you know, dealing with all of that. And then my mom was in a coma for a couple of weeks. And my brother, I think, took that really hard. And he started using. He started he started using heroin, I think, as an emotional fallback. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody noticed it. But nobody wanted to deal because mom was like the first priority right and he was there he was practically sleeping in the hospital but he was already gone and I think that after that when my mom finally woke up and we went to rehab with her and we she was in rehab for a couple of months she had to hear the reality of things which was Hey, your husband left you. Did he take his kids? No, they they... were still there. They were still living in the house. Okay. You know, he he left on a hunting trip. He was gone for weeks. He was gone for weeks. You know, we, we told her. And I could see the heartbreak in her face. But all she did was just say, I need to talk to a lawyer. I want a divorce. And she got the divorce. So after that, I think everything kind of became very different for us. After she got out of rehab, it was my brother, my mom, and I. Now I'm in, a, I'm in an apartment where uh, we have to take care of my mom, but now my brother is also doing heroin. So now this falls on you. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so now I have to take care of mom. I have to take care of my brother. And now I'm petrified because every time I'm in a car with my brother, because I can't get around anywhere, he's falling asleep at the wheel, and I'm praying to God, asking him to keep me safe. So at that time, I think I lost like my best friend because my brother wasn't my brother anymore. He was just right. someone that I absolutely despised because he was putting us through the ringer. So later on, he had gotten an opportunity from his friend to move to Pennsylvania and to kind of start fresh. And my mom wanted to go with him. And I said, no. I said, I'm staying in Connecticut and I need to do what I promised myself I would do, which is get an education, finish my degree, and just be on my own you know, which was what I was already doing. started going to school. I was working for jobs. I was, I don't even remember when I slept. I still had time for the good parts, for fun moments and hanging out with friends. But at the end of the day, I would get home and I knew it was just me. And How old are you at this point? I was 17, going yeah. on 18. So, and I think... Like, from the age of, like, 18 to, like, 23 or something like that, Mm -hmm. everything was a blur. There are bits (laughs) and pieces that I remember, but honestly, I was so robotic. Mm -hmm. I had no sense of self. I didn't even know what self-love was. I was, I formed a relationship with a really great um, guy at the time. And then that just turned into a really toxic 
relationship. And I think that didn't help because I was with him for a good maybe seven, eight years. That's a long time. And that's a nice chunk. That's a nice chunk of my life, right? It is a nice chunk of your life. Especially coming out of what you were coming out of. Yeah. A family that wasn't quite together. A stepdad that now has left at this point. Yeah. And having to take care of your mom. And then having a brother that you have to take care of as well. Yes. And being a robot. And being a robot. Trying. I was a robot. <laughs> Trying to get all of that stuff done. Yeah. I mean, I was in, I was in survival mode. And again. 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 So I had no time to breathe. Literally, I had no time to enjoy my life. Even though I had great moments, there were small moments. And so the relationship, it became toxic because I started accepting things that I now know I shouldn't have accepted. I, I accepted him lying to me. I accepted him making me feel small and almost unlovable and unattractive. And there were a lot of psychological things that were happening with me already. And I think this was kind of just like the icing on the cake. And, you know, I would... I would accept so many things from him that I know now not to accept like we we were supposed to meet on new year's one year and he stood me up and I stood there and I sat there in the apartment sobbing and crying because he stood me up on new year's because he was with another female and I didn't know how to stand up for myself and I think that plummeted into every other relationship that I had for Mm -hmm. a very long time because now I'm so psychologically conditioned to say well uh well but I love him you know but 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 he he needs me right and that's when I kind of became like the fixer because I was petrified of being alone I was petrified I didn't know what to do with myself if I was alone in a room Because you had an opportunity to finally have someone by your side. Yeah. If you think of where you came from, with mom not being there, stepdad not being there, you didn't have a point of reference. Yeah. Especially at this point, and this being maybe one of your first relationships. Yeah. um, Of what love might have looked like. Yeah. And what you did see um, was a dysfunction that was your family at that time. Yeah. did this almost seem normal to you? This did. It did seem normal to me. And you know what it is? A lot of, I come across a lot of women now that are like, well, that's crazy. Like, I would never do that. But you know what? There are women out there that are, that are smart as hell. <laughs> and <laughs> they put up with so many things that they don't deserve. And I think that to me at the time... I thought that was okay. I thought that was so normal because I wasn't focusing on him necessarily. I was focusing on the fact that somebody now wanted me. Mm-hmm. Somebody needed me, wanted me, and I didn't feel alone. And that was what I think I ran away from for a very long time. I had no spiritual sense of self. I, you know, I just wanted to feel like I was with someone all the time. I numbed everything I felt. I pushed everything down. I even forgot 
what happened with my mom for a really long time because I literally, mentally, I blocked it out. And when, pe- when people would ask me, hey, how's your mom doing? I'd go, why? You know, and they would just look at me like I was a nut job. <laughs> and then, you know, with time through Connecticut, I kind of like developed like these small moments with food. Hmm. And it kind of became a comfort to me. Because food was what I can control. So I was buying food when I had the money or when I could afford it. And of course, there were times where I would go weeks without eating because I couldn't afford it. When I did get my hands on a slice of pizza, I would feel so great. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm controlling the fact that I'm getting this slice of pizza. I have the money to get it. And I feel good while I'm eating this slice of pizza. So that turned into a huge emotional comfort for me. But still, I was very insecure with how I looked because there would be times where I'd binge and then I would stop and then I'd feel alone and then I'd get food and it'd be like... That cycle. The cycle. The circle that constantly goes around with no end. Yeah. And that circle was going around on... I mean for a very long time. Well, I mean, we're talking maybe like nine, ten years. That was crazy. So was did it start with that relationship? Or do you think it have started after that relationship? I think it started, I think it was always there even before my relationship because when I was young, there was always like a pressure on me to look a certain way. And I was just, I was just born with a large bone and curvy. <laughs> I, I, took, I got the jeans from my great grandma and, you know, she had a booty. She was curvy. She was pretty. Everybody <laughs> loved her. But, you know, the pressure from my family was, look, you're not a size two and that's a problem. So stop eating. You know, I'd go, sometimes my mom would help me diet, I quote, as a 13-year-old and just not, like, not eat for days. And everybody thought it would be okay. So I think that kind of was, like, the foundation. And then when all the emotional stuff started happening with my relationship and everything else that was going on Mm -hmm. and me feeling alone, I really found that comfort. I really was like, ooh, food. Hi. You're going to be my best friend. (laughs) Be my best friend. (laughs) You're not going to tell me no. You're not going to tell me what I need to do. You're always going to be there. Yeah. So let me eat you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You're never going to disappoint me. Ever. Exactly. Whatever I I want, you give me. Yeah. I have complete control over this. Yeah. So. So, I mean, with that as my backbone, I felt like I could do anything. Right. Like, and later on, I, I started working as a teacher. I became a behavioral analyst with children in a magnet school, and I love to teach. I love to change lives, so that was, like, the dream, jo- dream job come true, and with that, I was able to, you know, get a better car, get a better apartment, and I really had, like, this moment in my life where I was, like... <laughs> I made it, mom. Like, I graduated with my first degree. I was just on top of the world. I was about to get an offer for, like, $60,000 a year from this school to be, like, this behavioral analyst. And then I get a call from Pennsylvania. Hmm. 
and my mom is on the other line and she's crying and sobbing. Hey, your brother was doing drugs and he was arrested for stealing cologne at Home Depot. And he has a green card, so that makes it even worse. And there are immigration laws that are happening and he's caught in those laws. And I'm alone. Help me. (sighs) Help me. And I literally dropped everything, left my apartment, gave up my car, and I moved to Pennsylvania to take care of my mom. And I know that like a lot of people sacrifice a lot of things for family, so I felt like it was something I had to do for her. And I was so pissed at my brother, by the way. <laughs> so pissed. You have no idea how angry I was. But I knew I was forced to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And my sister was, she had already moved to Florida from Brooklyn, so she was very far. It's not like she was going to leave her house there. You know, she bought a house. Everything's great for her. So who's left? Me. So now I'm 21, maybe, 22, living in Pennsylvania, working 60 hours a week, trying to go to school online, I had to leave school because I couldn't handle it mentally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, financially. And that was my life for two years, maybe even more. That was my life, getting up, crying, sobbing because I hated what I was doing. I hated where I was working. I hated the two-hour commute to and from work. I was getting black and blues all over my body from the stress. I was losing my hair. And I was so depressed. I was so depressed. And where'd you wind up finding this? Where, where'd you wind up working other than your dream job? I ended up working at a daycare. Okay. As a head teacher. But it was so, I, you know, it wasn't professional. It was a great, I think it had a lot of potential. And I loved the kids and the parents were so attentive to me. But it just didn't have the professional vibe that I knew a school would need. So I was just doing it literally to survive. And it was a toxic environment too because nobody really listened to you. Nobody helped you implement the things that were needed. And a lot of the times, people that were working with you weren't as literate as you were. So now you have people on different educational scales that don't understand where you're coming from and you don't understand where they're coming from because... They're totally in a different world, and that's just, like, constant miscommunication, and it, mm-hmm. it was just a mess. Well, you were coming from a higher education yeah. because you were going to be something completely different. Right. But because of your move, you decided to still be able to take care of kids, but now yeah. it's in this daycare setting yeah. rather than in a more hospital professional setting, yeah. Yeah. specifically helping children... With certain disorders and stuff like that, now you're just in a daycare setting. Right. Being a babysitter. Being a babysitter, yeah. And I think that was, like, so hard for me to accept because I worked so hard to move from a daycare to a behavioral analyst setting. And then I just, now I have to go backwards. Now everything I worked for for the last two, three years is gone. Mm -hmm. Now it's gone Now I have nothing. I have a dollar in my bank account. I can't afford life. 
what am I going to do? I lost faith in God again because now I was like, well, if you love me, you wouldn't put me through this, you know, mm-hmm. and you hear it a lot. You do hear it a lot. Yeah. That why do I have to go through this? Yeah. If you cared about me, things would be perfect. Yeah. You know that is quite <laughs> different. <laughs> it might is. love us even more when he puts us through those trials. So how long did you stay there with your mom and your brother? So during that entire time, my brother was in jail. And we had to afford his lawyer fees. We had to borrow money from our friends and people that we know were our acquaintances to afford his lawyer fees, to afford life. And we were in a lot of financial debt because of it again. And I think that this went on for a couple of years, maybe two and a half years. And then one day I had a friend of mine call me and she said, hey, do you want to move to New York? Do you want to move in with me? And she was actually dating one of my brother's closest friends. So at first I was like, no way. <laughs> like, girl, I have, I have things to do here. <laughs> but then I spoke to my mom about it. And I thought my mom was going to freak out. I thought she was going to have the only... Because my mom wasn't the same after the surgery. She's a lot more emotional. She forgets things. She really does need to be taken care of. My mom turned around and she goes, I know you have to leave. And I'm like, what? What'd you say? She's like, I know you have to leave. You have no life here. And I want you to have a life. You know, you have no friends. You have no relationships. You you don't even go out. And when you do go out, it's like once a month. And she's like, I know this is what you need. And if you don't go... I know that you're, you're going to regret it, and I'm going to regret it for you. So after a couple of weeks, I left. And it was so funny how God works in mysterious ways because the day that I left, a couple, a week later, actually a couple of weeks later, my brother somehow got out of jail. Hmm. And he came back home. I'm back in New York. living with my friend and her boyfriend and I got there and I was petrified I had a book bag full of clothes I had about five five dollars in my pocket I had no money like no money I mean no savings no retirement fund that I can dip into nothing Dasha was broke as hell (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like you know what whatever couple of weeks I was looking for a job and then I I walked into an agency and I met you (laughs) and I met two amazing guys and they hired me and they asked me to be a receptionist and then they taught me how to be a recruiter and it was a whole new world for me because I was petrified I had no idea what I was doing I had never been a receptionist in my life and I I have never been a recruiter in my life. So, you know, that was so weird for me. But I was so, I was just so happy to work. Mm-hmm. Because to me, not having a job was just, what? No, no way. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Like, I need money. That's, that was, oh, that's always my mentality. Always. But now I get a little bit more picky of where the money, where the money is coming from. But 
I knew I always needed to survive because I was the only one that could do it for myself. So now I'm working at this great job and I have bosses that actually care and ask me and like slip me bonuses if they hear that I don't have enough money for a for a checkup for a doctor. <laughs> you know, they just magically give me a hundred dollar bonus. And then my friend's boyfriend starts using drugs where I'm living. And that's like total flashback mode for me with my brother. Mm-hmm. So now I'm working. I'm living in New York, and I'm living with people that I really care about, but they are doing drugs, heavy drugs, right? heroin, and I'm finding needles in the trash, in the bathroom, on the bathroom floor, and I'm walking into my so-called home or room that I'm renting and seeing people heat up cocaine in the microwave, and I'm scared. I start staying late in the office. And there were even nights, please don't tell anyone, I slept here. I slept in the office because I could not go back home. I could not do it. I could not, my feet would not take me there. Because it just wasn't, it wasn't home anymore. It wasn't home anymore. It was everything that I had ran away from. It was my brother. It was the times that I was scared shitless being in the car with him, he was falling asleep. It was everything. And that's where I think that I kind of started trusting God a little bit more because I came across a lot of angels along the way and friends that really supported me. And I think that that's when I really started thinking about who God was, what he does if you pray, if you trust. Because there were times where I just had... I had no way out. I knew I had no way out. And I just stood there and said, oh my God, God, can you just help me? Just just please help me. And then a day or two later, it would just a solution would magically appear. I think God started working through people I started to meet. And a friend of mine actually magically had a separate room that she was renting. You know, like, you can't, you can't make this stuff up, and I don't go searching for it either. Right. You know, how do you have a random Facebook friend hit you up? Hey, let's go for a walk. Oh, by the way, I have a, I have a room for rent. That's what prayer does. <laughs> you know, and, like, I had, at the time, I had no money. I knew I had to give a, a down payment, and another friend of mine literally footed the down payment for me. And she didn't want anything in return, and that was so scary for me because I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't want this back? What do you mean you're going to be offended if I give this back to you? What do you mean God is working through you to help me? What does that mean? Because I had never been introduced to any, anything like it, you know? When I moved and started renting a room with a friend, that entire environment changed. I was so happy. Because now you're out of that drug-filled environment yeah with one friend who did bring you to a place yeah that was gonna it that turned out to be very beautiful for you right um but now you find another friend yes who's able to kind of guide you yes put you into a different place and I think that's when I really started living life and experiencing New York again and really 
learning about myself, but I got into another relationship and it was again a very toxic one because I never figured out what I deserved in a relationship. I never figured out what I deserved in a partner. So I allowed the same thing to happen because I was still petrified of being alone. I was still pushing down my emotions and I was still like, okay, no, 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 Dasha, no, no, no. You don't have to be at home alone by yourself. That's weird. Self-date, what is that? Mm -hmm. Take yourself out, what, what is that? Enjoy a bath alone, what the hell? Are you crazy? You know, (laughs) but come on, it's true. A lot of people still think that way. And that was the biggest thing for me. So in that relationship, I was the fixer. I did everything for him. I encouraged him. I helped him find jobs. I, I, you know, I was there for his mom. I would clean his house. I would cook for him. I would do all these things. But in return, I would get nothing. In return, he would cheat. He would lie. He would tell me things like, well, I'm, I'm going to go spend time with my friends and I would say, oh, okay, cool. So, like, can I come along? Why? Why, why, why should you come along? And it was a, a total, like, mind... Can I say fuck on my own podcast? Yes, you can. It was a total <laughs> mind fuck. You can always bleep it later if you want. Bleep! <laughs> but it was, it was. And it went on for a very long time. And, you know, he would go places and, like, in, and have drinks. But he would never invite me. But I'm the one that's being so supportive why but I love you but I genuinely care for you why are you not showing me that you care you're telling me that you love me but then you're a bunch of women are calling your phone what is that normal you know and in my mind I was so petrified of being alone that I just wanted to feel needed And I just wanted to also conform to society at that time and say, oh, yeah, sure, I have a boyfriend. Instead of sitting down and wondering, like, what kind of what kind of man do I want? Do I want a man that supports me? Do I want a man that can be present with me and not rush to marry or to have babies? Because I'm not ready. But. Do I want a man that makes me feel like I'm wanted? Or do I want a man that sometimes wants me, sometimes doesn't, sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, it's Mm wishy-washy. I don't want a wishy-washy man. And that relationship came to a horrible end when I saw him on New Year's. And I also found out that he was having another relationship with a totally different female and I called her, and I, had, I invited her to come to the apartment. When he saw us both, his main reaction was to literally say, oh, well, this is not a big deal. But I, like, I couldn't believe it was happening. And mm-hmm. then after that, I was like, there was even a moment where I was like, oh, wait, can I forgive this? And that's when I knew I needed help. That's when I knew I needed to go and fix whatever the hell that was happening in my mind because 
I was hurting so bad. I was hurting so bad. I wanted to jump at the subway. And I will never forget that moment. I wanted to jump because I thought that now I really had nothing. And you know when people feel alone mm-hmm. in, in a room full of people? You could still feel alone. You still feel alone. And that was that moment where everything came to surface. And I don't even know why, but it just all hit me at once. And I was feeling spiritual pain. I was feeling emotional pain. I was feeling physical pain. And I thought, literally, I thought I was going to die. And I was like, well, why don't I just end it now? Something, somehow, just ran through my mind. And I was like, I need to go see a therapist. And I need to, like, do something for other people so they don't feel this way. That was your rock bottom point. Oh, yeah. That was the point where you felt like you couldn't get up from. Yes. But it seems as if you might have gotten up. <laughs> <laughs> I might have, but it was a long it was a long way to recovery because it wasn't just, you know, a breakup. Mm-hmm. It was a breakup that sparked everything that went on in my entire life. So it literally changed everything. And I went to therapy for two years to understand who I was. And the trick is you have to learn how to not shut out the people that are really there loving you and work on yourself. And I think that's what I was learning because I used to isolate. I used to just shut down. If I'm sad, I don't talk to anyone. I don't even want to eat. I don't want to sleep. I'm petrified. And with therapy, I learned how to talk about everything, how to be vulnerable. And I also, that was the first time that I actually remembered what happened with my mom. The therapist literally took that mental block off. And that completely changed me because I now remember the entire night of laying there next to my mom wondering if she'll wake up wondering if she's even alive and that I think was like something I had to also get through Mm -hmm. and then came learning how to enjoy being alone and how to balance a healthy relationship And that was the most hardest part. Because I'll tell you, the first time I took myself out on a date, I felt like an idiot. I was sitting there at a cafe drinking coffee, and I was so self-conscious. Like, I'm here alone. People are going to think I'm just weird, you know? And now I, I enjoy time with myself. I think that's so important. But I also know how to balance out really healthy friendships and really healthy relationships full as we may call it and then you're starting to rise understanding which is amazing that you were able to bring yourself off of that brink yeah to understand that you needed help then you took those steps to actually go and get help yeah and then you started to groom yourself 
trying to figure out what it was that was going to make you a better person. Make it so that you could have that self-love. Right. So during the course of that journey, if I'm hearing this correctly, you have found friends and you found people and you also found God. Yeah. Um, and gave a little bit more trust to him that he'd be able to guide you to where you needed to go. Yeah. So with that, who do you think you are now? Oh, good question. <laughs> I think that I am still a work in progress. I think that I am learning how to love myself, but I now have enough self-love where I can give some love to other people. And my cup is now overflowing. <laughs> And I think that's so important because I'm able to kind of be somebody else's guide in a way or motivation. And I think that I'm a a really big work in progress (laughs) because sometimes I'll have my my moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never perfect. And I don't know who I am exactly. I don't know my exact purpose, but I do know there are things that I am very passionate about, like Project Love Yourself, like allowing people to see the vulnerable sides of things and know that, you know, self-love isn't perfect and sometimes you don't have enough of it. Mm -hmm. And what I do know is that I can't get through it by myself. I can support myself and be there for myself as much as I can, but... I have to have a a good support system in my life. I don't need people to take energy away from me. I need people to correlate the same energy I'm giving them. Right. And that's something I had to learn a lot. (laughs) So do you think in the course of wanting to share the things that you've learned, and obviously in that's going to be through Project Love Yourself, Mm -hmm. What would you tell people would be the first thing that they would need to do to start down that road of learning how to love themselves? I would say to face their past and to stop running from it. I think that's the number one thing. To stop isolating and stop blaming yourself for anything that went on. Because we all, I, I kind of correlate it to grief in a way because you don't just grieve when someone is, is dying or someone is like lost. I think that you grieve from many different things. Like I, would, I grieved my past. I grieved everything that was happening, but I didn't know how to move past the grief. So I would just allow it to come. All the time, all the time. So I think that the that being able to sit down and stop and really think about the past and accept it and really let it go, but also get the help that you need to let it go, like therapy or like meditation or, you know, there are so many options now. Mm-hmm. To really find the help that you need. And I think that's the number one key. If we keep running and if we keep just burying things deep inside and, and 
pushing people that love us away because of how we feel about ourselves, it's just going to spiral out of control. Wow, I I sounded so (laughs) Oprah-ish just now. Well, you do get some spiritual enlightenment when you do finally get that opportunity to understand that loving yourself is one of the most key things that you can do. Yeah. And to maybe put this on a personal note between the two of us. Yeah. um, I got to see your journey from being quite awkward at first. (laughs) I was Um, so awkward. Um. And just trying to understand what it was to be in this life, to work for an employment agency, to be able to figure out all that stuff. But yeah. you hid it very well. You hid the fact that you didn't know much, yeah. but the fact that it seemed like you did know a lot. Yeah. Um, I did? Wow. Yes. So it's like, wait, don't you already know this? Like, no, not really. And I know it took a little while for us to warm up together to each other. Yeah. Um, but you're progress as a person has been absolutely amazing because <laughs> oh I love you thank you because <laughs> I definitely remember you sitting you know in front of me at my desk and just feeling so lost yeah and not understanding what was going on why was this happening to you why did this have to happen to me yeah um to all of a sudden picking yourself up and going this isn't going to happen anymore. Because, no, there's no reason. Yeah. And I saw when you hit partially that bottom mm-hmm. um, to sit there and go, look, I need help. These are the steps I'm going to take. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then finally it started to click. Yeah. And it was like a light bulb went off in your head. Yeah. And I could see your eyes changed. Your, your, just who you were as a person changed. Right. During the process of this. And then... You started to understand what it was to love yourself. Yeah. And then what was the most amazing part was when you decided you wanted to start sharing. Yeah. And um, for me, it was just like, wow, she's actually like coming into her own and she's going to be able to do this. (laughs) So I am so super excited for you um, going into this and going into Project Love Yourself because I feel like this might be the best healing that you can do for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I definitely know that you'll be able to bless numerous <laughs> amounts of people with with your story, with yeah. your journey. I wish you great, great things in everything that you do going forward. Oh, um, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. With that being said, what do you want to tell your audience? I want to tell my audience that self-love takes time and... It's rocky and not everything is perfect. I, I think that there are different levels to self-love. And I think that as long as you are open and as long as you take time for yourself and take care of yourself, that anything is possible. And I don't think that you necessarily have to isolate to do that. But I think that the best relationship you can have is a relationship you have with yourself. And it's okay if people help you with that relationship because I've had so much support and this is why I'm here now because I wouldn't have been able to do it without people that really just love me. And I just 
hope that whoever is listening knows that they're not alone. If you feel like there is no light in your darkness, there is. You just got to keep going and keep praying. Have faith. Mm. And I think that's important. So beautiful. Thank you so much for interviewing me. It was my pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing with us.